Coming up next, Book and It Reads, The Horse and His Boy. everyone, and welcome back to BookNet. I'm, of course, your humble and eloquent host, Mr. Cooper Cobbs. And joining me today are two of my very good friends, Mr. Tanner Lewis and Mr. Isaiah Ritzke. Howdy, Hello. folks. Well, everybody, we're back in the groove because, uh, for some reason, once a year, literally the same week every time, we get a freeze over here in Texas. And so it's frozen yeah. outside. And yeah. nobody's going anywhere. So plenty of time for podcasting. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, though, this weather, man. Like, four days ago, it was 60s, and five days, it'll be 60s again. Right now, it's like 20, feeling like 11 or something. Yeah. Like, and what the heck? last year, this very same week, it happened again, you know? Something like that, yeah. So, oh, whoops. Um, so, anyway, it's frozen. Nobody's going anywhere. And, uh, yeah, Tanner got a dog. And other news. Oh, yes, it's going good. Teddy is my little baby, and I love him. Oh, <laughs> Teddy. And for the record, I'm pretty sure it's obvious if you've listened to the podcast for a while, but all of Tanner's siblings' names start with a T, so at least <laughs> they're referred to by a T name. And um, the dog also has a T name, so there it is. It was meant to it's be. Meant to be. It's meant to be. Well, you know, it's also meant to be. What type artist... of dog is Teddy? Oh, I say you messed up my transition. He's a golden dude. Sorry, man. He's a golden dude. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um... Tanner, are you there? Are you still cutting out? Are we cutting out? I can hear okay, you. Okay, cool. Well, we're talking about the horse and his boy because that is what is meant to be. Going back to my earlier transition. And what do you guys think about the horse and his boy? Well, actually, first, any specific baggage you want to uh, dispense on the horse and his boy? Like, I guess we should probably do this every episode. Like, where did you think this was going to be? Rereading them in terms of how how good you thought it was going to be. Is this top tier Narnia? I thought that... Yeah, I think this is top tier Narnia. I think that this is like top two for me, top three. Gotcha. Is that? Yeah, I... I don't know. I like this book, and I always liked it since when I mm-hmm. first read it. I um, mean, I wouldn't say it was my favorite book. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd put this like... Um, yeah, probably like top three or four or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's always, like, one of those ones that it's the most unique in that, really, it's the only one to where the the main characters in this one never reappear, like, at all. So, that's something mm-hmm. that is maybe unique to Narnia and is refreshing. And you spend the majority of your time in countries that you don't really get to spend time with, I guess. Like, it's really not yeah. Narnia-centric, necessarily. But it's, it's, Narnia's very central to the plot, but it's not where you spend most of your time. It's like the foundation has been laid for the idea of Narnia, mm-hmm. and now we're like we're getting to enjoy enjoy the fruits of that labor to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in pretty much every single one of the books, except for the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you you know, in, in, in well, I guess Prince Caspian as well, but like in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you're going out and experiencing all the cool places outside of Narnia and the ocean. And Silver Chair, you're going really far north, and Orson is boy. You're in Callerman and Arkenland, and then, you know, and Magician's Nephew, you're not even in Narnia to begin with. So 
I think that you're right. Like the foundation has been laid with Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, Prince Caspian. Let's branch out a bit and hear about these other countries you've only been referred to. So for sure. I guess you said it was top tier Narnia. So what makes it top tier Narnia for you? Is it the, is it like experiencing Calamon or is it the storytelling? What is it? It's very Tolkien. This feels like the most Tolkien of all of the Narnia books, like period. Hmm. With the exception of um, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. That one might be the only exception. But um, uh, like The Horse and His Boy just feels very like um, journey. It's a very journey oriented story. And uh, um, just like not only a journey as in like the physical place that they're going but like the the mental state and like their spiritual journey as well like just their beliefs and like the way that they warm up to each other as like people as they're journeying it's very intri- it's very interesting and intriguing to me mm-hmm. and uh, I, ver- I very much like that i like the i like the very three-dimensional plot that we have of like we're just kind of tracking all the way through that three-dimensional sphere, if you can track me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I also really enjoy the, um, as I said earlier, like the world building that happened mm-hmm. here. Just definitely, it's very. Um, I don't know. It feels like Tolkien read his books and then came up to Lewis and said, "You know, I think you need to do a book about such and such." And he's like, "Ooh, that sounds like a good idea." Do you want to help? That's what it felt like. But anyways, mm-hmm. my thoughts. Yeah, my, mine are pretty similar to Tanner. I did really like the world building because it helped like just show that there's more places than just Narnia, but they're like in the same world or whatever. Something like that. Um, And just, I don't know, it kind of helped open up a bunch of possibilities for what you can do with all that. Yeah. Or what he could do with all that. Yeah, I agree. I think some people tend to argue sometimes that um Kalerman can be a bit like flat like it's just an arabian you know city country it's just agrippa from aladdin all over again it's just your stereotypical culture that's been copy and pasted here i mean so i was uh, i wasn't too excited to i wasn't necessarily too excited but i was a little like a little scared like um um am i actually gonna enjoy it the way that i enjoyed it as a kid or am i going to enjoy it the um the way that other people claim to enjoy it, um, which it or not, sorry, other people claim to dislike it, but I enjoyed it a lot. I think it is. You could probably knock it and say that it's not the most original or three dimensional, but it feels real, and I I think that he characterizes them a lot. Like he makes them talk in this really archaic ornate language, um, and mm-hmm. and has the joke, the recurring joke about the Tisrock, may he live forever, you know. And that kind of thing. <laughs> that, that's one of my favorite jokes in Narnia. Narnia and the North. Bruhaha. Yeah, Bruhaha. Um, Bree's a very funny <laughs> character. You know, the whole thing is really a tongue-in-cheek book. Um, and so that comes out, especially in Kalerman. But it is a lot of fun to, you know, Tashban is a really cool city to live in. And they're really fun characters. And Rad, Rad, Rabidash is one of the best villains in terms of just making him seem like a fool. That kind of thing. So... Yeah, I, I enjoyed the horse and a spoil this time around. So actually, real fast, have you guys heard of Planet Narnia before? I, I'm assuming Tanner maybe has. Heard of I what? actually have not. Okay, so Planet Narnia is this idea that this guy, I forget his name, wrote a book about it. He made up, no, not made up. He hypothesizes that Lewis wrote the seven 
books of Narnia off of the medieval cosmology. In other words, in the medieval, medieval cosmology, there were only seven planets, and one of them was the moon. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he claims that Lewis wrote all of the Narnia books based off of one of those, um, one of the planets, okay? So for reference, like the silver chair is the moon, um, and Horsetus Boy is Mercury because of the journey, right? Because Mercury is the shortest journey. It travels really fast around the sun many times a year at least earthier, um, and so Horses Boys, supposedly, and under this ar- argument and theory, um, based off of Mercury. So I'm not an expert on this by any means. I haven't read the book, but that's just what I've heard. I think that's kind of interesting, if that's true. I think uh, Caspian is from Jupiter, because, you know, Jupiter is the god of... Um, actually, no. It might be Mars. Uh, anyway, it, it's something you can dig deep into, and this person has, like, made a living off of a random theory about C.S. Lewis, but I think that's kind of cool to think hmm. about. Like, Anyways, yeah, it's an idea. that's very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. I have an Amazon cart going right now full of, like, I think it's got seven books that I need to read. It's getting added to the list. Okay. Well, I haven't read it, so I can't speak for it, but if you want to dive deep into Lewis and to someone hypothesizing about this, then it sounds interesting, for sure. <laughs> and if I, had I mean, that does sound interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I've never heard about. of it. Yeah. I classify myself as a Lewis and Tolkien nerd, so, you know, now I have to read it. You gotta read it, yeah. You gotta read it. Anyway, Horse and His Boy, let's talk about the main characters, y'all. Let's talk about some Shasta, some Bree, um, some Erevis. What do you think about Shasta, or Prince Kor, spoiler alert, as we should rightfully call him? Prince Kor. Honestly, I didn't like him in the beginning. Yeah. Like, I remember the first time that I read this, like, I remember that this was not my favorite story out of all of them. Mm-hmm. My first time around, it was the silver chair. Mm-hmm. We can get to that later. But um, mm-hmm. um, I remember um, uh, I remember reading about Shasta and just, or Prince Kor, as we're calling him, and just, like, disliking him for his, like, ignorance mm-hmm. and honestly his pride (laughs) he's like the most prideful person ever and he's got nothing to be prideful about really him or the horse it's hilarious how is shasta prideful he's prideful in a few just like the way that he looks down oh fair yeah he looks down on erevis he He looks yeah he looks down on erevis he looks down on brie to some extent like i don't know it was just intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, now it's intriguing to me. It wasn't then. I was just like, bruh, why? Yeah, I think um, now you're kind of more content. Like, or uh, Now, as in you, isn't referring to us as we reread them. You trust Lewis, and so you see, okay, this guy is going to be changed. The horse is going to have his own journey. Erebus is going to have her own journey. You're going to see these people come to be better at the end of the story. Yeah, definitely. But um, uh, I just remember, like, when I was younger, like, as I said, six or seven, just like, I don't like Shasta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's boring and uh, is prideful. Those are my only thoughts. Okay. Anyways. I say, what struck you about Shasta this time? I don't know if there was really anything that, like, struck me about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I kind of had the same thoughts as before. Just like, I don't know, I feel like he was kind of a good character, but I feel like he'd just been better, like, I don't know, like, I guess, like, Tanner said he was kind of boring at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Well, I mean, it helped move along the story and thought it might be kind of a little weird if, yeah. if the guy just wasn't there. I mean, he is but. very much the audience avatar in this book. Like, the, the person mm-hmm. who has an oppressive father, and, I mean, none of us have oppressive fathers, obviously, but, you know, we, we like to think that in times of doing chores or whatever. But, you know, we can relate to that just a little bit. And then he longs to go see Narnia. He longs to go see places that we've never seen, which is the same thing that Star Wars did with Luke Skywalker, which we all want to do. We all want, we all want, all want, want to go see the world. And then after that, he's kind of... In, he, he can come off as boring. I would say come off as boring, but he's the least interesting of the characters because he has to be the audience avatar, right? Like nobody's mm-hmm. gonna say Harry's their favorite character in Harry Potter because he's Harry's supposed to be you. You know, Luke is not the best character in Star Wars because he's supposed to be you. You know, and so that allows other people, yeah. um, like the side characters, to shine more brightly in a book that has a ton of really fun side characters. Mm-hmm. Anything to say about for Shasta? sure? I mean, like, what is what is his character journey? We've been talking about character journeys. Um, what 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 is his journey from the beginning to the end? Coming into his own, what is it? I think really it's learning about. He learns how to be content and to be humble. Mm. Like from what I see, like he learns how to be content and humble in every circumstance. Like, just like all of the things that he went through, like from being raised up and like assumed as a prince and learning that like he didn't like lies Mm -hmm. he didn't want to be the kind of person that like his pride was so high that he would lie in order to um in order to get what he wanted Mm -hmm. so that he could get what he thought was contentment and i just think that it was a very i don't know i enjoyed the distinct movement from um his pride into his um just into his contentment and into his humbleness like as a prince like uh-huh. i remember at the end of the book that it said that like he and Erebus ruled and uh, were one of the greatest kings and queens ever seen in uh, arkenland just because of like you know they had known what it was like to like be cast out to be cast out of civilization and just to know what it was like to be no one I'll be using. The question was about like his character arc or whatever, right? Yeah, what is his character journey? What is the thing that he character changes from journey. the beginning to the end? Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like in the beginning, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of something else to say than what Tanner just said. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know anything else. I mean, I could repeat what Tanner said if you want, but I feel like that'd just be kind of pointless. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I feel like. Um, we were talking about like Shasta becomes Prince Kor, and that's an important part of his journey. And I, I think that the, over the story, it is kind of a coming into his own, like recognizing his um, his noble roots, I guess. And you'll see that with there is a couple of lines. Like obviously, they mistake him for Prince Kor, and it's not just a similarity in face, but you know they can kind of tell his blood, his noble blood, and then the king. When Shasta first tells them the news that um, there's a Kalerman attack coming, he notes that as he got on his horse that he had a he has noble blood in him somewhere, and so I think that is an important part of his journey is learning, um, you know, as Tanner kind of alluded to, learning how to be humble in all scenarios and how to he he experienced what it's like to be the lowest civilization and the highest civilization, so now he's kind of been thrust from this low 
to being looked down on everyone um, and kind of scorning them for that, becoming the prince and the future king. And so I think that's just an interesting character journey of becoming the lowest and then becoming the highest and having to deal with that and having to grow into that as his destiny is, as his you know plan is, as his purpose is, and also trying to reconcile and, um, you know, have a good attitude about what it used to be and things like that. So, yeah. And let's say about Shasta. I guess I'll also, like, I feel like that this book was very kind of, I mean, we've all talked about it and we've all, like, kind of agreed at some point of, like, the fact that it's mostly about Shasta's, um, uh, mostly about Shasta and how, um, and his journey from uh, being the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. I just think that it's so profound that Lewis would write about something like that when Jesus says that we, that whoever is uh, the last will be first and whoever's the first shall be last. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to be humbled or raised up at some point and all the tables are going to be turned. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of when at this point. Yeah. No, I didn't even think about that, like uh, the correlation between that and this. And you'll say about Erevis or Bree or Huen. I think they're all fun side characters. I think Erevis's journey is one of my favorites for sure. Um, you know, becoming the she's honestly princess. like one of the reasons why this is my favorite, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just her, I don't know, from like being suicidal to having a horse talk to her. <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. Um, uh, I mean, who doesn't want to talk like, to horse, though? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that could stop anybody from committing suicide. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I think <laughs> Or that... just make them think they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which you initially thought. Um, I think that the yeah. moment where Neslan, um, you know, rakes his claws against her back and then tells her why at the end is one of the top ten moments of Narnia. The idea of, hey... Uh, at the end of the day, justice is gonna occur, you know. So, do right by others. It's like it's an actual like physical representation of the golden rule, I guess. Do you as do unto others as you would do to you. It really, it's not necessarily that. It's more of like a she learned a lesson. She treated person a person inferior to her poorly, and um, Aslan taught her a lesson, and she kind of learned that and grew out of that with Shasta especially. So, um, I, I think Lewis is putting on his flexing his muscles here in terms of character growth and journey and completeness at the very end, so for sure. Yep. Yeah. I also I have a little bit of encouragement to any listeners. If you if you're reading or have read The Chronicles of Narnia, I highly encourage you to talk with other people about them and not just read them and listen to this podcast and be done. Because like as like as we're discovering right now on this podcast, like the more you talk about it, like the more you can read into um the meanings of uh, all of this like for me i never i'd 100 percent forgotten about that portion of erevis's story and then uh, talking like with isaiah just like the fact that he hadn't even read into the correlation between jesus and uh, um, everybody being humbled like it's just really it's a really good thing to have a community where you can talk to other people about whatever you're reading and mm-hmm. what and about whatever like you're discussing so i highly encourage that just because when you're able to discuss and uh, you're thinking you're reading and uh, you're hearing yourself say it to somebody else things just like 
ideas are sparked and things like it has a different meaning to you at that point yes new all angles are looked through in that point and it has a different meaning to you than if you just read it yeah Mm -hmm. anyways there's my tangent i mean that's kind of a summary of like what what the podcast is about just like we're encouraging guys alongside us to think about these things and talk with them and discuss them because it's important um i want to talk about the lion plot Uh, the whole idea that aslan has been protecting him and guarding him all the way through it's kind of a another example of allegory i mean as i talked about it last time of basically direct correlation one-to-one aslan to jesus and jesus is kind of walking along and protecting you uh uh how did you guys feel about the lion plot this time around because it's not one of those things of the horse and his boy i feel like the horse and his boy is actually one of those books where it's either you're like your top narnia book or near the top or it's near the bottom and i think one of the reasons is the lion plot like i've heard people the the the, the moment when aslan talks to shasta at the very end and he's like i was the lion i was the lion i was the lion i was the one who did this i was the one who did that that's one of their top 10 moments or it's like one of their bottom 10 moments of narnia that's really interesting. Like, I had a friend quote that in a devotional they gave um, at one point, that section. And then I've also had people who I've just talked to and you know, listened to or encountered when um, thinking about Narnia, where they just don't like it at all. They don't, they don't think it's a great representation of Christ or um, what he does for us. So how do you guys feel about it this time around? Hmm. Did it strike you one way or the other? I, I'm assuming you guys liked it. I did, too. Um, I liked it, yeah. Yeah. I Dude, love it. Yeah. I mean... Go ahead. Go ahead, Isaiah. Go ahead, Isaiah. I'm not stealing oh. your ideas anymore. Oh, okay. Um, well, I just thought it was really cool, and it was a great representation of like how Jesus will never Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us or anything, and no matter what, we're never alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, yeah, I don't know why people wouldn't like that, especially if they're Christian. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense to me. Is it but, accurate? Um, you think? Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I th- I thought it was pretty accurate. I mean, God is always with us, and even if we can't see him, he's always helping us. Or yeah just there to be with us and all that. Mm-hmm. I think I've got an interesting take on um, uh, that really. But like when we're talking about um, uh, like Aslan being the lion every time and him being the cat in the desert and uh, um, uh, just like him protecting them all the way. I think the most interesting thing to me is uh, um, uh, still that idea of he's an, he's not a tame lion. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but like when they're running by the sea and uh, when he uh, when they're running or when he, they're running through the sea they think that they're running to save their lives right mm-hmm. and they are but i just think that it's so interesting that in the moment we don't realize what's happening is good for us yep we we assume that we're about to die And uh, we go into a full protectionist mode (laughs) like Shasta did Mm -hmm. and just like um, freak out, essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, uh, everything, uh, we just don't know what's happening. And uh, we get so, uh, I don't know, we become terrified and we get so uncomfortable in our position that um, uh, we just, we lose sight of what our purpose was like Shasta did. Like, he lost sight of why he was going there. He lost sight of the reason that he was going to Narnia. He lost he lost sight of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that that's just, I don't know. Going back through it this time around with my family, it just hit me a different way than it did uh, the first time. Just the idea that 
it's not going to be comfortable. Yeah, it's like, not. I mean, that's kind of why Aslan has to... What's good for us is not comfortable. That's why Aslan has to show up at the very end, especially to get the horses to get, kick into their higher gear, is they had forgotten what it was like to be pushed, and what they they had become comfortable, and he has to kind of, you know, wake them, wake them up out of that. Yeah, and I'm we will no doubt be talking about this in the next episode as well, going into the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Well, Prince Caspian's next, but... but... Uh, Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Anyways, um, uh, just the idea that, um, uh, like, we were not made to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. At least not in this world of sin. We shouldn't get complacent. It's, yes, not complacent. We shouldn't be okay with where we are. We shouldn't. Like, as we were talking about with Shasta, just like, we shouldn't be okay lying about lying so that we can be at the top. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be okay with things. Like, there is a right and there's a wrong. Yep. Anyways, there's my tangent again. Yeah. <laughs> right, I know you've got to get out of here. I think me and Tanner have a few more things to talk about, but any final thoughts before you have to head out? Um... No, not really. Just a good book. I would recommend it. Um, yep. Yeah, and it really is great world building, like we said before. How many uh, lampposts out of seven would you give to it? Oh, wait. How many? What, what have you been doing? Lions, lampposts? I don't know. How many things uh, out of seven? Uh, I don't, uh, out of seven? Yeah. I give it like a six. Nice. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Isaiah, Bye. farewell. See you. All right, Tanner. So what I want to talk about next is Tash. So Tash is the god liturgy of the Kalermans. And I think this is important, especially as we're going to talk about um, the idea of Lewis possibly being a universalist in the last battle, or at least a partial universalist. And so I'm going to talk about Tash here. I think that, first off, Lewis describes Tash here and elsewhere as a scary, obviously a demon. Like, he nowhere does anybody claim that Tash is not real, right? I think that's important to note. They always claim that he's yeah. a demon, or or they don't claim he's a demon. You get the picture of he's a demon, right? Um, and as Aslan is the Christ figure, Tash is obviously supposed to be the antithesis to that. Um, how did you feel about Tash in this book? I think that mostly Tash is played off as a fool, like Rabadash. Whenever he gets caught on the little ring and made and makes a fool of himself. He says something like, the bolt of Tash is falling, or something like that. I don't know. How do you feel about Tash and the Horseman's Boy as we kind of get set up for that discussion in the last battle? Um, I think that, I don't know. First of all, I definitely think that there are um, uh, spiritual forces that are at play within the world yeah. right now. Mm. No doubt about that. I believe that there are little G gods that... Or at like, least people worship them the, as such. Like I don't, I don't know if I would call it such, demon. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are dozens of books that you can read on all of these different things. I personally like um, Supernatural. That's one of my favorites. I highly encourage you read it if you want more on what I'm kind of going to be touching on as I'm talking about Tash right now. But as we're doing this, um, uh, just the fact that I personally I believe that the um. Uh, that the Greek and uh, Roman gods were little g gods that did exist and were um, did have play at human fo- 
on like human hearts and in the world. I don't think that they were just like these abstract deities that didn't exist. Interesting. Figments of human imagination. Interesting. An interesting idea. I know you I know that you haven't read this book. I highly encourage that you read it so we can have this discussion. I mean, look, here's, but just, anyways. just to give my thoughts briefly. I don't think that can, we can prove that. I think we can assume that. And I think there's a compelling argument to be made for that. But I just yes. I don't think we can. Those are just sure. my I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm stating my beliefs before I get into this because this is going to be very subjective. Uh-huh. Um uh, but anyways, that being said, those are my beliefs. I do believe that there are forces that are um uh, that like the council of God did exist and all of these different things. Anyways, moving off from that and going back into the book, I think that like the role that Tash plays within the um, world of the Chronicles of Narnia is to be um, the Satan figure, right? We've got, um, he is the father of lies and he um, has clearly corrupted this entire nation um, of Calmarin, which personally, I think that um, whenever he wrote about Calmarin, I think that Lewis was kind of thinking of like a Babylon, essentially. Yeah. Um, just like that kind of an idea. But going into, like, the end with, uh, his name is Prince Rabidash, that's right. Um, uh, just, like, him turning into a donkey and him having to be, like, humiliated. Um, uh, I think that just goes to show, like, another, like, the way that the upside-down kingdom that Jesus is bringing back, right? Yeah. This, um, uh, or that Aslan's bringing as well. Just, like... The fact that the uh, prideful will be hum- will be humbled and uh, the humble will be uplifted. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, I just think that, like, I feel like that's like the center, the focus of this book. Like, that is uh, what this book was meant to be, other than a really great story about a journey. But um, uh, <laughs> just the, I don't know. I think that Tash has a, a very specific purpose in the books mm-hmm. as uh, this um demonic fi- this demonic figure that um uh, has control over portions of human hearts and the world. Yeah. I'm going to read this passage real fast. This is when Aslan is telling Rabidash the donkey how we can be made a human again, okay? This is the chapter Rabidash the ridiculous. You've appealed to Tash, said Aslan, and in the temple of Tash you shall be healed. You must stand before the altar of Tash and Tashban at the great autumn feast this year, and there, in the sight of all Tashban, your ass's shape will fall from you, and all men will know you for Prince Ravidash. But as long as you live, if you ever go more than ten miles away from the great temple in Tashban, you shall instantly become again as you now are, and from that second change there will be no return. So you're definitely right. Like This does seem like a kind of a, a Satan thing. Like, you know... um, you you call on Tash and well I mean Tash is has quote unquote claimed you I guess you are Satan's <laughs> and so if you want to be healed <laughs> go talk to him about it that kind of thing I will say I think that it, and this is really a setup for like I said a discussion in the last battle but it seems really weird for it to all be like this and then or, you know Tash is a demon Tash is the Satan character whatever and then in the last battle people who worship Tash get into the heaven kind of thing and we'll talk about it when we get there. 
but yeah, I agree with you. I agree with everything you said, which is why I think it's weird that it happens in the last battle. So I just ignore that portion of the last, like that little <laughs> yeah, portion kind of, of that guy. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, I I I turn a blind eye there. Yeah. I I don't really I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, you think to say about? I don't really want to think about it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like yeah. Narnia with an allegory, like it can get a little messy sometimes. I'm not gonna, I'm not a person to defend Narnia in 100% of cases. I'm gonna point out when I think that Lewis is wrong, and I think he's wrong there. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, I think that that, I don't think that he actually believed that personally. Yeah, I think that that was just a, I think that that was a tough place to be in. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he set him up himself for that. Like, pretty much we don't meet any good Kellermans, like pretty much ever, until that one dude. And so he creates this character who is very likable and then has to get in heaven for some reason. So, yeah, we can have some debate. I might do some research and pull some quotes, and we'll see what happens. But anyways, we'll Rabidash is a fool. Anything you want to say about Rabidash? He's hilarious, honestly. Yeah, I mean, everybody in Kellerman is hilarious. Like My favorite chapter is in the, in the House of the Tizrock, where it's yes. just the, the Tizrock, Rabidash, and then the Grand Vizier, who is... Um, <laughs> Supposedly supposed to be Erebus is betrothed, and then it's just funny language. Lewis is having a lot of fun, and then here, let me see if I can find it. My favorite line is, um, I love whenever he tells him to like sit down, you fool. Yes. <laughs> to the to the Grand Vizier, and he's just like there, like groveling. Yes. And he's I like the Tisrock in his greatness, and he's like. Prince Ravidesh may be youthful or something, but, like, you cannot speak to his highness like that. Yeah. <laughs> Your highness, please stop kicking our grand vizier. Yes. It's um, so funny. There's this one line, I can't find it now, but it's like the vizier starts to speak and then he shuts up because Lewis says, he saw a wiggle from the prince's right toe or something like that, and it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> and then the may he live forever is really funny and then all that kind of stuff and just if we're going rapid fire here we're almost done there's another line that i like when in terms of rabidash the, the, the chapter rabidash the ridiculous um that chapter is really great as well and i think that there's a great piece of wisdom here that i would like to share um here where is it Sheridan will get out of here because I've got there it is. some young children that want to watch the movie um, uh, for uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Interesting. Well, here it is. I know. Um, Never taunt a man save when he is stronger than you, then as you please. That's a great piece of advice. <laughs> and especially as I'm giving a speech kind of on that topic this year for my speech and debate league, I think that's something I might end up throwing in there because I discovered it again. I liked it a lot. Oh, one, one last I use thing. that with Matthew Killingsworth. I don't <laughs> taunt any other person, but I taunt him all the time. It never really works out well for me, but you know. Yeah. I think that Lewis, as well as Jane Austen, uh, it really struck me like Jane Austen is great at like giving summaries after the events of the story. Like, here's what happened to Rabidash afterwards. It's really great and funny and enlightening and good storytelling. Here's what happened to Corin. Here's what happened to Cor and Erebus. All that kind of stuff after the story. He's really great at doing that, and so is Jane Austen. It happens at every single one of her books. But I'd like to read this um, this final paragraph. Um, let's see here. Erebus also had many quarrels, and I'm afraid even fights with Cor, but they always made it up again. So that years later, when they were grown up, they were so used to quarreling and making up again 
they got married as to go on doing it more conveniently, which is really awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, Lewis is great. Love horse and this boy. If I would offer a small critique, I would say there is one scene with the allegory that gets a little bit overboard. It's when Huen is talking to Aslan, and she like says, "Eat me. I'd rather be eaten by you than fed by anybody else," or something like that. And I'm sure if we, me, if I talk to good old C.S. Clive Staples Lewis. He would explain what he meant, and I would agree with it. But the way it came off can <laughs> sometimes, it, it can, not sometimes, it can. It felt like a little weird and a little sensual, even. I don't know, really weird. So I may rephrase that. I don't know. I think that's just you. I liked, I liked that portion. Okay. Well, maybe it's just me, but whatever. Okay. Final thoughts for me. I enjoy it. I like. I think, like I said, Lewis's character journeys are awesome, especially with Bree. I didn't say this earlier, um, but Bree becoming more humble especially losing his self-conceit he didn't he's really the epitome of what lewis says humility is thinking less of not thinking less of yourselves but thinking of yourself less like he learned that lesson as the hermit taught him um so Bree's another good example of that all the character journeys are awesome storytelling is awesome the writing is funny and enlightening anyway horseman's boy is great to you tanner yes i definitely agree i really think I've talked about this a lot during this episode, but just the just the um the very rich allegory in this uh, in this book like you don't really get that when we were reading um uh, say uh, the magician's nephew or the line the witch in the wardrobe those aren't really or maybe i've maybe I've drank all I can drink out of those already but yeah, um uh, <laughs> I mean, I could say a stone um, cable is obviously, you know, lacrosse and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You've just, I don't know. You read it enough, it starts getting dry, sadly. Um, but I feel like this one is just so rich in uh, um, uh, the the wisdom of humility, like within a good story. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that the journey was very good. I think that the humor was uh, um, uh, the comic relief was just placed so smartly. Um, Beautiful. Just a beautiful work of art. A great story. Yep. Definitely spent a lot of time on this, I can tell. Yep. 6.5 out of 7 for me. I'm sure it's really high for Tanner. Uh, 6.5 out of 7? Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah, I'm definitely hitting, like, sadly i can't go higher than a 6.5 because that would violate my rules but yes 6.5 <laughs> sounds good all right let's do some donor shout outs if you want a donor shout out listener go to patreon.com forward slash booking it give us five dollars or more a month we'll shout you out on the show ten dollars or more gets you a bonus episode every month which by the way tanner is on his way to reading adorning the dark which is going to be our next episode um for patrons so we're, we're back in the groove patrons we're going to record some bonus episodes soon hopefully we'll do the watership down uh, miniseries as well so we're getting back in the groove we promise we have not forgotten you we'll have more bonus episodes coming out soon so donor shout outs tanner i'm just gonna go ahead and shout them out and then you can say random gibberish behind me okay nana van papi and wayla aziz's grandparents mike and sylvia mike and laura what a great guy and jenny and uncle Amazing. sam moses tanner zara anna Cooper. oh I by the way real fast matthew anna our patron recently started a podcast that you wanted me to shout out here so if you are in classical conversations, like me and Tanner are at the homeschool co-op, we do. Anna has recently started a podcast with her sister where they talk about their week and challenge. 
for Gospel Conversations. It's called Chasing the Challenge. So if you want to have a fun podcast where she and her sister talk about their schoolwork and their week and discuss things for challenge, head over there. Sounds like a lot of fun. Um, next up, Emily, Becky, Lizzie, and Keenan. Thank you guys for donating. And to you, listener, appreciate you listening. Make sure you support us if you can. Five-star rating and review. Share it with your friends. We'll see you next time with Prince Caspian. And until then, keep on booking it. <laughs> <laughs>